Today I talk to Travis Brownlee, Head of School at Marin Academy in the USA. In this episode, I discuss how to teach pupils to challenge fake news, creating a positive social media presence, inclusion and respecting others, plus teaching leadership at the heart of your curriculum. I want to get on to polarization. I want to get on to some of the things that are happening in America. A newly appointed president after a fiercely contested and polarised election. I read an article that you wrote ahead of the 2016 election where you said that education must be above political fighting and encourage lively debate without marginalising a specific group of people. How do you go about doing that? So first of all, I don't think I have all the answers and that's important. And I don't think I have any formulas. But what we tried to do here at Marin Academy and what I think is really important are the following. So first of all, it is important to start with a baseline understanding that we enter into conversations with respect. I think that also be willing to say difficult things to each other, which means we also can't just say them, we need to listen to them. Active listening as a part of that, making sure that people are having different ways to participate, whether that's in speaking or writing. But One of the things that was particularly true around that election and through the next four years was around ensuring that our students had data-driven opinions, that they were making sure that they had done the reading and done the research to end where they were ending, wherever that might be. And to me, that's not simply a sort of live and let live philosophy. The world is made up of multiple and different perspectives. And it is your job to learn how to articulate it and your job to learn how to listen to it. What we talk a lot about at MA is trying to find the both end of a situation rather than get into this dichotomous either or or neither nor kind of thinking. So that's what we try to do. And that's something that we work with our students, you know, from the very beginning of their coming to MA. And making informed decisions in a very digital world, you know, your ex-president was very hot on fake news. Fake news is a term that, that preceded him coming into his term, but it's almost exaggerated the difficulty that students particularly find in finding and analysing what is the truth. You know, how do I find out whether or not that is genuine or not? How do we go about spotting what is real and what's not? Because some of it looks so genuine. Ironically, in a digital world where you have access to so much, the opposite of that is that we are able to curate what it is that we want to see and to read, whether it's in our newsfeed or in our social media. So the first thing we have to do is to create a habit of engaging and looking at things from the opposite perspective whether you're in an active argument or discussion or not. And I think that's one piece of it. The second thing is, is it some of the old tried and true things? You've got to look at at least three or four different sources that are not the same source as you go about looking and determining what's important. That's what we teach our kids in research, whether it's in history or in literature or in science. I think another thing that we do, we have a course called Human Development that happens in the ninth grade and also in the 10th grade where kids learn how to talk on complicated topics, where they also spend some time understanding what it means to see a different point of view. There is a lot to be said about teaching kids about how to agree and disagree. Because if we leave them to social media to learn about how to agree or disagree, 
I can't even imagine what our world is going to be like in five or 10 years. I think also for kids to learn self-responsibility, the anonymity of social media. Every once in a while, a kid will post something. One of our deans will have the student come in and say, could you just read this out loud to me? And of course, they can't do it because it's beyond what they would consider acceptable themselves. So part of it is about really teaching kids about digital citizenship. Absolutely a critical part of education. Yeah, and digital citizenship, it covers such a broad range of areas. I think it needs to be embedded in the curriculum of all schools and from a young age, because, you know, the difficulty I think students have nowadays is their ability to find the time to go off and rationalize whether or not that is the right piece of content, because it's all so immediate. Everything is now. And if I haven't got the right answer within seven seconds, I'm off it. I'm bored. I need to go and find it. So teaching them to be you know, more cautious with it, to be you know, less speedy with jumping to a conclusion, I think is going to be key. Particularly important you know, for high school students that I would actually say you know, K through 12 students, um, kindergarten through 12 in our country, because those our kids, their brains and sense of self are still developing. And so being bombarded by what is people's idealistic world, as opposed to what a person's real life is like can be very damaging to that developing sense of self. And so it's both, we also have to teach kids that they're in control of this social media and also to be clear about who is it that you want to be as a person and how do you want to contribute? You know, it's very difficult in those early teenage years because they are trying to find their love and their own self and belonging. And it's very, very difficult with hormones, with change, with peer pressure. So, you know, what schools like yours do is incredible. We need that support as parents to help guide in what we're trying to do as well. And maybe there's an extra piece there we need to be doing and thinking about what the parents need to do, because we always give up some responsibility. So that's really important. One of the things I say at MA is that the only triangle that you want to be a part of is the parent-school-student triangle. And we spend time with our parents around parent education, talking about what social media is like. You know, we were doing some surveying, our parents were concerned. They don't have time to do their homework, and we would do these surveys. And they were doing two or three hours of homework. And I said, but guess what their average amount of time is on social media per day? Four hours. Imagine if they weren't on social media at all, the time that they could have to play, read a book, and frankly, to do nothing, which is not a bad thing. I know I have that debate with my teenage kids all the time when they kind of their eyes roll and you want them to spend just five minutes maybe helping. And you kind of put that into context of how much time they have spare in between working social media. They can just find it. But no, if students see this kind of ugly political debate in the real world, How difficult do you think it is to get your students to honor the viewpoint of others without it getting personal? Because that was a big problem the last four years is everything was personal, you know, no respect to the way that conversations or debate was had. How do we go about changing that? I think it's going to take us some time. I think that one of the things that I would say is that the uh, level or lack of a decent level of discourse in this country enacted by you know, the leader of the country did a great deal of damage. You know, we saw not at MA, but certainly um, in other schools around an increase in bullying and that kind of language. And I think it's very challenging. I think what we kept doing at MA is to return to what are our values. You know, if we want kids to learn to accept the responsibilities posed by education in a democratic society, You know, we needed to teach them about responsibilities, that words matter, 
and they have an influence. Um, We certainly have a number of students who will be first-generation college students and students whose families immigrated to this country. And there was a reason for real fear. And what we kept saying was MA will always be a safe place. Now, that said, I am hoping as we move further beyond the Trump administration, there are some significant changes in government that our students will begin to see other ways. We also had to keep saying it's like what you're seeing is not normal. It was barely two months ago that we had an insurgency on the Capitol. That was unbelievable. And we followed that. You know, I had been concerned about that for several days. So, you know, folks were also working on like, okay, what could we do? And then it happened. And I have to say, and this is what I love about our faculty members, this is what I love about teachers. They jumped in and they made an educational moment out of it. What do you think respectful debate should look like in 2021 and beyond? I think respectful debate has to look like people building on each other's perspective. That doesn't mean that they end up agreeing, but if two people go into a conversation and they remain at the end where they began, that's not a respectful conversation. We have to be willing to be changed by our experiences and our conversations. So for me, it's about getting our students and our families, all of us here at our school, to think about what are our real values? What is it that's really important? What does it mean? to have demonstrated empathy, which is one of our five competencies. So we are making that sort of thing a central part of a kid's learning. You know, we are going to evaluate you on your mastery of demonstrated empathy. That's the only way I think to do it. You know, one of my favorite writers, and I did my work in graduate school in George Eliot's Middle March and um, The Mill on the Floss. And one of the things that she said is that compassion is really the only thing that humans have that will make us come together in this world. Even language can be something that creates discord. So compassion and empathy, while being focused on what it is that is most important, is the only way that we're going to get there. And we certainly see that in our two-party system in this country. In the same article, you said, our school must be better than the real world. How do you get this message across to your students without giving them an unrealistic view of what the world really looks like? Well, it's interesting. Our our kids, we teach them to have a voice. So they are sometimes like, well, we're not better than the real world. There are problems at MA. You know, we have issues and challenges. And I'm like, of course you do. The world in your life has challenges now and it'll have challenges going forward. But you are now in a high school in a place where you can make all kinds of mistakes. And you're at a school that wants you to learn from them. So whether it's a student getting in trouble or whether it's, you know, learning to go down one path in research and a scientific project and ending up someplace else, you know, but one of the things that I say to students is what's more important to me than the mistake you made is what you do the next time and what you do after you've made a mistake. I'm fond of saying to our students, integrity is what happens when nobody's looking. That's what integrity is. I mean, great advice. Do you think that, you know, having this kind of outlook where, you know, our school must be better than the real world, does this give them a sense of entitlement that we're better than you? Or can you eradicate that with really just good teaching practice? That's a great question. So we certainly don't want them to think that they are better than others. But what I want them to know is that you know, one of our values here is that we want our kids to think, question, and create in an environment of compassion. 
And so for our students, what I mean by the real world is that we are always going to take a compassionate perspective first. We are always going to ask questions before we make decisions or judgments. That's not always true in the real world. What I want them to do is to build a strong foundation, build those strong muscles of learning to have their voice and having the resilience to share it and the courage, because they will be buffeted by challenging wins when they walk into the world. So to me, it's about that solid foundation while they are still growing intellectually, emotionally, and physically. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I had a head teacher on this podcast who announced he was gay in an assembly to all of his students and it made the headlines in the UK and around the world because it was the first person to do that in his role in such a public way. To me, you know, having seen the outpouring of support post that announcement, it still feels like it's a really big deal in some parts of the world for a head to be able to be openly gay. You've obviously been dealing with this for a long time already. Is the US much better prepared and more respectful of inclusivity? Or have you had to fight your own battles to ensure that you are treated as fairly and evenly as everyone else? I feel like that has not been a given that I would be treated as fairly and evenly as everyone else. And I think that also depends on what country you live in. It depends on what state you live in. While I think things are changing, there's still room to grow. You know, hate speech is a part of the world and it's certainly a part of our country at times. It wasn't until now it's uh, nine years ago that my partner and I could actually marry federally and have the same rights, you know, that other people had, that heterosexual couples would have. So, yeah, I feel like I've had to fight for that. I feel like that's also true as a woman, that we've had to fight for that. I mean, in the U.S., less than 25% of heads of school are female. That's not because people aren't qualified. So yeah, there have certainly been challenges there. I'm grateful to this school. I think California in the Bay Area is a place where I actually don't think about it anymore, to be honest. Whereas I thought about it a lot as a younger person earlier in my career. Yeah. I mean, how do we get to a point where it isn't such a big deal? Because, you know, you look at, I certainly look at my kids and they're very inclusive. They're very respectful of all race, religion. It's just no big deal, but it still seems to be such a big deal. How do we get to a point where it isn't? I think it's basically three things. Number one, the laws and the policies have to change. Because in the end, you're like, ah, you don't like gay people, you do like gay people, I don't really care. You know, I want to make sure that I don't have to spend, you know, gazillions of dollars on a will so that my children can inherit from me, right? Or that I can be able to buy a house or whatever that is, or I can get the job that I want if I'm qualified for it. So part of it is changing the laws and the policies and the practices. I think another part of it is talking about what discrimination is with socially significant differences and to look at the facts and show people the facts. I think very often, if people don't get out of their own way of looking at people or their own comfort zone, you know, they don't understand the power of what it means to be in a minority group. So we have to do education about it. Of course, I'm a great fan of that. And then I think that the third piece of it is, is that we all have to be willing to engage in hard conversations, right? So I don't expect that real change will continue to happen 
if I'm not willing to speak out about these issues. So, you know, for those that say, well, you know, I'm tired of having to defend this, you know, why do I always have to educate you? I think, well, you know, okay, I'm glad you feel like you can step out. But for me, it's for my generation, but it's also for my children and then my children's children. Have you seen a market change in the attitudes and the way that the openly gay marriages and couples are seen in America? I think that it feels, to me, it feels sort of normalized. And that's in part because of where I live in the Bay Area. It's interesting, of course, you know, when you get married as a gay person, then then you have more taxes to pay. On a practical level, you, you might have thought, well, I don't know, maybe we should get married. But, you know, in the end, I'd rather pay the taxes and have the rights. So it's all good with me. I also think that this is going to change as younger generations become older. I, I think that that's part of it. And this is why I think it's so important for kids to learn, to have the kind of education which pushes boundaries and makes them think about things. And of course, what I say all the time is the law is a living thing. You have the power to vote and the power to change things in this country. And that's not only a right, but a really important responsibility. Absolutely. And, you know, they need really great idols and leaders to look up to and role models like yourself, because you're right. I think, you know, you've got to take the hard hits. You know, this is a generation of the hard hits. You've got to be there. You've got to be in the fight because... The generation that are coming through absolutely are ready for the fight. They want to fight for this climate. They want to fight for the world, sustainability, equal rights, everything. Nothing is off the table. And I love that. And we've got to make sure that we don't give up and go, do you know what? We're going to keep being beaten down. And I have no doubt that many students who might be gay, either out or not, will feel a real sense of acceptance and comfort knowing that they are understood at your school because of the open and inclusive culture. I mean, you're in the Bay Area, so very cosmopolitan. Obviously, there's parts of America, parts of the world that aren't, and it completes opposite to that. Does it fill you with pride that your school is more accepting and that you have that open and inclusive culture already? It does make me feel proud. But what makes me feel even more proud, Simon, is the fact that we know we have learning and growing to do. That's just what it means to be a human being. So whether it's me as head of school or our deans or our faculty, our students, you know, we don't sit back about these things. There's always more to learn. There's always bias to educate in ourselves and in others. And so for us as a school, I am proud. I think we have a very open and inclusive school. And part of being a teenager is trying to find out who you are. So it doesn't matter necessarily whether your head of school is gay or whatever. But what I am most proud of is that we don't ever stop learning, is that we know there's more to do and there's always more to do. We're excited about progress, but we keep working. It's never finished. And, you know, when I was chatting to this head on a previous podcast all about this, you know, what we really got down to is it shouldn't be a big deal. We shouldn't be talking about it. It just should be, you are the head of a school, you're happily married, you've got kids. It's like, that is fine. Why do we have to add labels? We even got into the LGBTQ and you start to add all these different letters and labels. It's just got out of control because it even then becomes harder for people that maybe don't fit into it, you know, to go, am I going to say something wrong? Am I labeling this right? And we have that all with race. The sooner we can get to being human, I think the better. It's just mutual respect. There's no judgment. As soon as you lay judgment on someone, it's the wrong way because you formed an opinion. And actually, you've got to start from a position of understanding and going, like, I've got an opinion, you've got an opinion. You have a view, I have a view, but we are two humans. You know, we can be happy, thriving and still coexist. 
What do you think school leaders can do to create more inclusive school environments? I think schools have to start with what their missions are. What is their purpose? And to move back from that. There isn't a school that doesn't want to teach kids how to think, right? But do all schools focus on teaching kids how to ask questions or how to create a better world and move towards solutions? So at Marin Academy, for us, it's really about teaching our kids to engage in real-world problems and real-world solutions. And to me, that's about creating more inclusivity because if you really look hard at things, we had our students who did a, what we call a transdisciplinary leadership class called Smart Cities. And they actually did an internship with the city of San Rafael here. And the thing about cities, when you do city planning, you plan for everybody, not just the people who are like you. So our students really had to begin to look outside of whatever it was that their comfort zone was as they participated in actually helping to solve real problems in the city of San Rafael. So I think really doing real work with people that's about solving real problems and not pretend problems, that's one of the most important ways to do it. Being willing to ask about other people's stories and listen to them, and also being willing to share your story. It's really hard sometimes to have the courage to speak up about your experience, but those are the ways that our world changes and grows. And schools need to be a safe environment for you to have any viewpoint and share these. And I love those project-based cross-discipline pieces of work that all your students get to do. I think absolutely solving real world problems, that's absolutely the right way forward. Because, you know, we think about a knowledge-based model Well, we have access to knowledge in our fingertips. We can mine information, we can get it, you know, as long as we can find the right stuff. What we don't do is we need to do more of is that creative problem thinking, problem solving, creativity, adaptability, because that's what the real world needs. We need people to go out there with whatever skills and interests they have all work together to solve something. And that's not going to work unless people know how to collaborate. And I don't mean just how to get along. They really have to collaborate. And that means, you know, speaking up for yourself, listening to others, taking a risk. So one of the things that we actively teach is how to collaborate on things. And that's super important. How do you think schools should teach leadership? Because, you know, again, leadership roles, you have a leadership style. There's lots of different styles of leadership. How do you think that schools should teach leadership? First of all, it's important to know that leadership can be learned. I know a lot of people grew up believing that, you know, hey, you're either a leader or you're not. But actually, that's not true. And the evidence shows that that's not true. I think that the way that you do it is you start to get kids to think about, you know, what is something that they want to do or think should change? If they're responsible, how are they going to go about doing that and giving them the opportunity to actually do it? At MA, we believe really strongly that learning is doing and doing is learning. The other thing is to put forward practices that require kids to get out of their comfort zone. I mean, you know, left to my own devices, I might have stopped taking, you know, math. But I got pushed and that was important. So for instance, we believe it's important for kids to develop their voices responsibly. We have a requirement, which is every student has to give a senior speech or do a senior performance, own something, a point of view, whether it is a speech, a comedy routine, a piece of music that you've written and performed, a dance competition, a film, whatever. So our kids watch you know, for four years, by the time they become seniors, they've seen 300 students talk about something that's important to them. 
So this is articulated to them as a practice and a cultural value. So that's another way that you have to do it. The other thing is, if you want kids to really learn to speak up, then you have to be really ready to listen. And sometimes kids can deliver things in ways that you go, oh, ouch, I wish you could say that a little more softly. But you know what? That's how you learn. Travis, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, the topics, some really great areas that I know that my listeners are going to really thoroughly enjoy listening to. Thank you so much, Simon. I'm, I'm very honored that you invited me to join. And why? this is the last thing I want to say. This is actually on bumper stickers in the 80s in Massachusetts, where there are various things about education. And this is what I want to say. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. We got to support our teachers and our schools and those that choose to lead them. So thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's really terrific. My pleasure. And I'm one jab down on the vaccine. So as soon as I get my second one, I am going to be back on the plane and I'll come and visit you. Um, that would be awesome. California. Yeah. So we and got good five. luck with that second shot. I, I had to take the day off of work, but I hope it's better for you. Yeah. Exactly. Which one did you have? I mean, everyone's comparing I had, I had Pfizer. I had yeah, me, Pfizer. Me too which is the lesser of the one here. It's all the Oxford AstraZeneca one. But um, no, I'm Pfizer one down, which was Friday. All right. so. Well, good luck, Simon. Yeah, I'll come and see you in the Bay Area. Be great. We'd love to host you here at MA. Super. Listen, have a great Thank rest of the so day. Thank you so much. Go and grab another coffee and uh, don't have too many meetings. Okay, you as well. Take <laughs> yeah, care. Take Bye-bye care. now. Bye-bye. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.